Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do the things that inspire them. I'm a member of the National Hemp Association, and I want to welcome you to the iHemp Revolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? My guest today is attorney Bob Hoban from Denver, Colorado. Bob Hoban is a full-service attorney and AV-rated practitioner. He is also the owner of Solano Business Solutions, which offers consulting, management, regulatory, and product solution services for the industrial hemp marijuana industries. Bob is currently a member of both the National Cannabis Industry Association and Colorado Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. He is a professor at the University of Denver in the Law and Society program. Bob was involved in drafting the Colorado's marijuana legislation and has drafted over 30 bills for the Colorado General Assembly. His specialties are litigation and regulatory counsel. He has litigated nearly every aspect of Colorado's marijuana code and has closed over 300 marijuana and industrial hemp related business transactions. So, Bob, welcome to the I Hemp Revolution. Well, thank, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Coach Freddie. This is a pleasure talking with you. Let me ask you a question first of all. What is an AV rated attorney? Uh, the, the AV rating is, is something uh, amongst attorneys that we hold in, in, in very high regard. It's, uh, it's a peer review process uh, done over the course of many years through Martindale Hubble. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be rated by my peers and my former clients uh, and the legal industry as the AV rating, which is the highest rating one gets for both ethics, uh, practice, and for uh, client uh, uh, dealings. So uh, proud, to, proud to have gotten that. Great. Now, how many years have you been involved in the industry, hemp and marijuana? I've been licensed as an attorney for 15 years. Uh, in 2006, I began to work in the cannabis industry involving marijuana dispensaries and caregivers uh, because my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh-huh. Um, that's my entry into the industry. As I learned more and more about medical marijuana over the last several years, uh, it led me to meet people that were working on, on hemp-related projects. And uh, we began about 27, 26 months ago working with uh, some of the largest hemp producers, suppliers in the in the U.S. and abroad, and uh, it's been a, become a large p- part of our practice, and it's uh, very exciting. Well, great. I know that you're in quite a few states. How many states are you uh, you practice law in? We, we work in, uh, I, I, I practice law. I'm licensed in Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Arizona, and Wyoming, uh, and we work in those states uh, in a legal capacity. And then there's a number of other states that we work in as well uh, as, as a consultant and in conjunction with other attorneys, those states being Illinois, Florida, New York State, New Jersey, Massachusetts, New Mexico, Utah, Montana, uh, Wisconsin, and Michigan. 
how did you actually get involved in the industry? I know that, that because of your mother, uh, is, is that the primary reason? Absolutely. Uh, it, at that point in time, I, uh, my mother was, uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, I knew very little about medicinal aspects of cannabis, uh, and started to do some research and recognize that here in Colorado, we actually had a, a marijuana, medical marijuana regulated system. Uh, so I started to look at different caregiver networks that were available online and, uh, to try to find, uh, some relief and, and some help for my mother. And, and certainly at that point in time, it was, it was a, a much more infant industry than it is today. Today it's very, very sophisticated and the legal cannabis industry, excluding hemp, is an, a $3 billion annual industry in just, just a, just a few short years. Um, but at that point in time, we started to work with caregivers uh, who ultimately opened some dispensaries and became involved in the commercialized cannabis industry. That's that was my original introduction was to help my mom lend my skills to uh, to the industry and um, and ultimately met some really, really great, interesting people and uh, and, and have been along for this wild, wild ride. Well, that's wonderful. Can you give us a, a brief history? I know you can go hours and hours about the history of industrial hemp and marijuana, but can you give us a, a brief history of the laws concerning industrial hemp and marijuana? Well, yeah, and, and, and they're, they're, they're largely grouped together, even though those people that do understand that there's a significant difference between industrial hemp and marijuana, or as I like to easily refer to it as ganja. The ganja side of this, so cannabis is legally defined as any marijuana plant uh, under federal law. But the nuances of industrial hemp, that being the, a plant that's that can be used for industrial purposes and medicinal purposes, but has a very, very low, less than 0.3% THC, which is the psychoactive ingredient. That's what gets you high. And then the ganja side of the business, ganja has, has historically been known and, and it's 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 the, the origins of that word uh, run deep in, in the Middle East and, and some of the the Latin roots of our very own language of uh, here ganja would refer to high potency marijuana plants high potency meaning high THC so uh, the 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 history is that they've been lumped together uh, for a lot of the the same reasons that you see in that that uh, well-known uh, film reefer madness uh, it was originally the one of the number one cash crops in the United States and the world. And in 1937, it began to be maligned and outlawed and, and thrown into a, a mix with drugs because it was the easiest thing for the government to do. And in fact, there's a great, great book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Herrer, H-E-R-E-R, -E um, which gives a great, great, very straightforward, very balanced rundown of the history of cannabis in this country. And it was basically thrown for political reasons into a, a quagmire that made it illegal and uh, made it effectively disappear. There was a point in time in the U.S. where you were fined if you did if you had agricultural land and you weren't growing hemp because it's, it's so versatile. And here we are wow. today where we're we're scooping and, and scrapping to, to recreate an industry that was once uh, tops in the country. Well, that's interesting. I never heard heard that part of it. Uh, that people were actually uh, farmers were actually fine if they didn't grow it. That is very interesting. True, true. Yeah. 
So we have a federal law here and we have some state laws. How do they affect each other as far as the industrial hemp is concerned? Uh, when you talk about industrial hemp, uh, you have to look at um, federal law in the first instance because the federal government obviously has tremendous resources and nobody would want to do anything that runs afoul of federal law. But we have this weird dichotomy where several states, uh, a number of states, are looking at cannabis, both on the ganja side for medical reasons or recreational reasons, or on the industrial hemp side. So you've got states like Colorado, uh, states like Kentucky and Tennessee and North Dakota that have passed and have had on the books uh, for at least a few years, some longer than others, uh, legislation that would allow farmers to produce industrial hemp for durable goods or concentrates or other building materials or frankly to use their fibers as material uh, and all these wonderful benefits that the hemp plant can do so state law doesn't exist in a vacuum so even if you have a state law like some of these states that allows for the the cultivation of industrial hemp federal law is something you need to seriously consider because there are a number of cases over the years where people purported to grow hemp under a state law and that hemp uh, and that hemp farmer was ultimately used to uh, to make a point, to make a political point, and they were arrested or prosecuted. Wow. So the federal law in recent years has been clarified under the 2013 Farm Bill to allow pilot programs like we have in Colorado, Kentucky, and Tennessee, and some other states to cultivate hemp, industrial hemp, for various uses. But it only wants the states to do this for research purposes. And that research could be for agricultural research, scientific research, or market research. And these are all provided for in that, in that federal legislation. Although there's a really, really murky um, gray area in which the farmers will find themselves when they purport to act on behalf of a state under the state-regulated system and whether or not that complies with the Farm Bill. And I, and I know that's a mouthful, but let me break it down as simply as possible. Some states allow it. Some states allow it directly as a result of federal legislation for research purposes. Some states allow it for commercial purposes. And there's a tremendous gray area as to whether or not that what's produced in certain states can be sold across state lines and comply with federal law. So basically, you might be able to grow it, but there might be a chance that you can get shut down or fined or put in jail. It's correct. Now, we, we certainly haven't seen large-scale criminal enforcement actions at this stage, mm -hmm. but we have seen um, various extracts from an industrial hemp plant, which purport to have medicinal benefit and which don't have a psychoactive effect, which don't get you high. We've seen those products seized across state lines uh, in, in various places. And, mm. and, you know, frankly, let me just one more comment on that. The nuance or perhaps the absurdity is that you can import certain parts of the hemp plant from overseas in other countries. And there is an, a legal analysis from the Ninth Circuit that would say that those products are legal. Whereas domestically produced hemp products are in this gray area under the farm bill and only allowed for research purposes only. So it's, it's, it's quite a, an absurd 
um, analysis when you look at federal law versus state law and industrial hemp, especially when the plant does so many wonderful things. Right. So I'm a farmer and I'm growing industrial hemp and I can supply this manufacturer hemp, my hemp crop, and I might be under scrutiny from the feds about the legality of that, but somebody from China could be exactly the same product and they're okay with it. Correct. Ah, yes. So in in your opinion, uh, how, how soon do you think that this might be changed? Government saying, okay, we're going to allow this. To, to really make this a robust, viable national industry, there has to be something done at the federal level. Um, unlike marijuana, rather re medical or recreational, where it is possible, I believe, to have a robust regulatory framework in those states for the dis distribution of marijuana for medical or recreational purposes, for industrial hemp to be a viable industry, something has to happen at the federal level. And there's a number of proposals currently on the table and that uh, are, are being talked about uh, and a lot of these are, are Republican-sponsored measures. And if you're aware of the, the the congressional aspect of this and the legislative aspect, the Republicans really need to do this because they are in control of a large part of what Congress does uh, by the numbers. So if they look at this as purely a farming aspect that creates an interesting industry with durable goods and perhaps perhaps some some fibers and and extracts that are that are you know dietary supplements or, or have health-based benefits, then it has to happen there. And there, there's a lot of things on the table. Does something happen this year? Does it happen next year? I firmly believe within the next six to, to nine months, we will see something happen at the federal level, which really clarifies that hemp can be grown as long as the state regulates it. And those hemp products can be put into interstate com commerce because after all, hemp products are not going to get anybody high. And if that's the federal government's concern, uh, you know, pursuant to the, this drug policy, uh, that shouldn't be a concern at all. And frankly, it's, it's, it's about time that it's happened. Yes, I always say that industrial hemp is about as uh, harmful as a potato. <laughs> so, well, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, think about it. We've got, we've also got, you know, poppy, poppy plants. There are poppy on bagels all over the country. And nobody's, you know, abusing the poppy found on bagels. Uh, you've got about as much psychoactive ingredient in a hemp plant as you do caffeine in a decaf cup of coffee. Most people that drink decaf don't realize there's caffeine in there. It's just it's it's been reduced to a negligible amount that you're not going to have the effects of that caffeine. Um, but I like the potato analogy. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. So um, how? How do you see the industrial hemp changing our culture here? It can do so many things, and it's so good for the environment and the economy. It can fill the need when you talk about paper products. There's a plant here in Colorado that makes paper towels and toilet paper out of hemp. They make it at uh, cents on the dollar compared to paper products that are produced from trees. Hemp, from a plant perspective, grows more quickly than a tree, it, it, it can cleanse the soil, and it takes in four times as much CO2 
as as trees do. So it's also good for the for the environment. Um, it has the ability to produce products that are the equivalent to tree-based and other um, um, other resources that 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 produce building materials, and they're much stronger. I mean, if we went down the list of of durable goods that hemp plants can produce, uh, without exception, you would find a product that could replace plastics, metals, wood-based organic uh, products uh, on, on nearly every single one of those those items. Then you look at the fact that there are medicinal products that actually affect the endocannabinoid system in the human body, which is not, a, this is not a science lecture so much as it is, you need to be aware that there's such a thing as called the endocannabinoid system in the human body. It's, it was made directly to interface with parts of the cannabis plant. And there are parts of the cannabis plant which medical studies would show that don't get you high, that are not psychoactive, that it would have tremendous health benefits for seizures, for cancer, for so many other conditions that, that, that we'd spend the next 40 minutes just listing them. What is the one thing that has you most fired up about the industrial hemp? You know, here's, here's the way I, I, I like to, this is perhaps a poor analogy, but this is the way I like to analogize it. Um, if you think of alcohol as an industry, you know, oftentimes we think of, you know, Coors beer or, you know, liquor, whiskey, whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. But the alcohol industry, if you were to, to think of it as a, as a pie or a pie chart or a pizza pie for that matter, the, the alcohol industry that serves liquor is probably two or three pieces of that eight slice pizza pie. The other four or five or six slices uh, are, are alcohol that's used in things that are not meant to intoxicate you, in building products, in medicines, in industrial products. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a tremendous, tremendous business and a tremendous, tremendous economic driver for our country. If you took that same pizza pie right now and you said, okay, there's two of those, maybe three of those slices of that pizza are the marijuana industry whether that's medicinal or recreational. But clearly, the intent of those products is to have a, an, an impact, a psychoactive impact on, on a human being uh, for whatever their, their purpose might be. Think of the other four, five, or six slices of that pizza pie that can, that can make all of these goods industrial products. That's what's got me fired up, that we've got a pizza pie that has yet to be filled out in terms of what the industry can do, what this plant can bring to commerce and society and the environment, frankly. That's what's got me fired up because we haven't even begun to see with today's technology the benefit that this plant can bring to so many different industries. And we just have to get beyond the notion that somehow, someway, hemp is the same thing as marijuana. Although it's the same plant, the same species, there's very subtle genetic differences. It's not going to have an impact on our youth on on you know drug policy it's simply going to supply products uh, at a more environmentally friendly and and lower cost by and large across the board when you think about that the sky's the limit and boy i'm lucky to be a part of it yeah and that's the reasons that i want to get involved as a, a lifestyle coach and a business coach to help do that in the uh, industrial hemp industry 
What do you see really busted loose? So what products do you think will be first, in your opinion? Well, some of the things that we're seeing a lot of right now, um, the number one product that seems to be, um, quote-unquote, sexy at this point in time in the marketplace would be cannabidiol or CBD. CBD is a product that's not psychoactive, that can be derived from industrial hemp plants, that can be made into an oil, to a tincture, to a, a gel cap for that matter. And CBD has the, the, the studies that would show that CBD has a tremendous impact on the human body because, again, it directly interacts with the human endocannabinoid system. And whether that means to, um, to uh, uh, you know, address cancer symptoms or epileptic symptoms or to simply, you know, help people focus, it's good for your skin. There's a number of studies out there that show that this product is, is remarkable. And that tends to get a lot of the focus in terms of products derived from hemp because the price point is, is a good price point. I mean, you're, you're looking at, um, what, 20, 28% pure CBD products in an oil base. Sometimes they're sold for 20 to $28 per gram. Uh, for a kilo of it is 20 to $25,000. I mean, you're, you're looking at substantial markup there. Um, but what, I think is ultimately going to, to, to take the day are building products and, and, and consumer products. Like I said, when we start to see hemp-based business cards, hemp-based toilet paper and paper towels in the marketplace and napkins, um, you're going to see a tremendous impact uh, on the economy and, and on the environment. Uh, building materials are another one. Uh, hempcrete, which is a, which is a specific branded item, it can you can build homes with hempcrete. You can build buildings with this. It doesn't catch on fire. It's a great insulator. It's 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 easy to produce with an appropriate supply of hemp product. So between consumer goods that I mentioned, the the building products like hempcrete and CBD, those are the three things that we see most of in the marketplace at this time. And it'll be really, really exciting if we check in later to see if that changed because that landscape changes about every three or four months. Yes. What I'm, I like about it is building homes with it out of hen creek. And it's just, I think it's phenomenal. And I'm going to have a hemp house. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to stay tuned and check in with you because I think that would be both a, a really, really interesting way from a budgetary perspective to, to go build something. That would be durable and, and tremendously insulated. Well, great. Well, Bob, listen, I want to thank you for being a participant here on the iHemp Revolution. And uh, Bob, tell us how people can find you, what your web address is and your email address. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find us on the web at www.hobanandfiola.com. That's H-O-B-A-N-A-N-D-F. E-O-L-A dot com. Uh, my email is Bob at Hoban and Fiola dot com. Um, and uh, you can look for us on LinkedIn and on Facebook where we regularly publish uh, and, and provide information about the hemp and the cannabis industry from a business perspective, not an advocacy perspective. So for those of you that are interested in learning more and perhaps getting links on, on science and, uh, and industry, uh, that would be a good location to start.
Well, thank you, Bob. And I want to thank all our listeners to make sure you subscribe to the IHAMP Revolution podcast on iTunes and give us a review. Tell your friends and uh, about us and help spread the word on Facebook and Twitter about the IHAMP Revolution. And this is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do the things that inspire them. And thanks for joining the IHAMP Revolution.